Please turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. His name, Eddie Reckenbacher. The date, October 1942. Eddie Reckenbacher was commissioned to get a message to General MacArthur in Papua New Guinea. He took a crew of seven men and headed that way. But somewhere over the South Pacific, the instrument panel went down and they lost their bearings. And within just a few short hours of being lost, they ran out of fuel. And they had to ditch that plane in the ocean. And as the plane was submerging, all eight men were able to get out and into a life raft where they would spend the next 30 days before their rescue. Eddie Reckenbacher said that it was a, a horrifying experience. said we had many formidable foes. The sun, the wind, the rain, the sometimes turbulent seas, the sharks battering the life raft. But he said perhaps the worst was starvation. Eight days after they were in that life raft, their rations ran out. They had a similar um, routine, uh, slept, some slept while the others um, stayed alert, but they, were all, but they were all up and at them at sunrise for devotions. And they would have their devotions. Uh, Captain William Cherry, the pilot, had preserved a New Testament in his flight jacket. And they would read scripture, they would pray, and they would sing hymns. At this time, it was afterwards, it was Eddie's uh, turn to, uh, to nap. And he slid down just a little bit. And as he was drifting off, he felt something on top of his head. And as he opened his eyes, and as he looked at the bug eyes of all the other men in that life raft, Eddie realized that there was a seagull on top of his head. <laughs> and not just a seagull, but food, if he could catch it. He said he took his last ounce of energy, and as quickly as he'd ever done anything in his life, he reached up and he caught that seagull. And they all took a, a, a bite or two out of that seagull, and then they... They cleaned that seagull and they used that seagull for bait to catch more fish to continue the process for 30 days until they were rescued. When Eddie Rickenbacker retired to South Florida, he had a ritual that every Friday evening about sunset, if we were there hiding behind the dunes, we would see an old man walking down the beach, slightly stooped, 
bushy gray hair, perhaps a somewhat gnarled hand, gripping the handle of a bucket full of shrimp, heading out to an abandoned pier. As he would get to that pier, sprinkled in the sky were seagulls. And Eddie would spend the next few minutes feeding those seagulls, paying homage to the one who gave its life so that Eddie and his men could live. This morning's service is about thanksgiving. God's faithfulness to this church. And it's about uh, God sending his son to this earth to, uh, to give of himself and to die for us and to uh, send his spirit to redeem us, to call us as children and then to, to gather us, people of all different walks of life, of all different ages, into a, into a group he calls a flock, a church, a bride. And for 30 years, his faithfulness. I'd like for us to read this passage out of Luke 17 and notice what God, uh, what Jesus says and how this applies to us this morning. Let's remember we're reading the very word of God. Uh, To be honest with you, this is is the only thing perfect about this service is his word. So let's pay attention to it. And it came about while he was on his way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, When he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. For many uh, years, I read this passage and I just kind of glance over it because leprosy is just not uh, something that we have to deal with. But it wasn't until I really studied this that I realized that leprosy was the most dreaded disease of that day. And if we could maybe flip-flop it and say what is the most dreaded disease of our day, we would probably everyone say cancer. Even the very spoken word tugs at us. We know how awesome cancer can be. Some of us have struggled with it. Some of us have Uh, a loved one, a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend. And we know how devastating cancer can be. 
Well, if we see that that's what leprosy was then, but there was another uh, hard part that was worse about leprosy. Leprosy, you couldn't stay at home. Once you were diagnosed with leprosy, you had to go out into the desert. And you could form little uh, colonies, leper colonies, but you couldn't go home. You couldn't see your, your family. You had to suffer alone. So when these ten come to Jesus, and Jesus heals them, and yes, one of them come back to thank him. For years I thought, well, the other nine just weren't thankful. But then I said, that's got to be ridiculous. He's, uh, they're thankful. They're very thankful. But I would speculate that what those nine did, as soon as they were pronounced clean, they ran home, came in the back door, honey, I'm home, grabbed the children, swung them around, daddy's home. And who could fault them for that? Well, Jesus did. When the one came back, Jesus said, wait, weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? You see, the, the big part of the story is not that the other nine weren't thankful, but there was only one who stopped to express it. We are a thankful people. We are all, every one of us, thankful. We could list our, our blessings, name them one by one. But do we express it? This morning, I want to express our thanksgiving for God's faithfulness through the years. I want to tell you a few stories of uh, what God um, has done through the years. Uh, some of you have been here a long time. Some of you have been here a short time. We started June, officially, June 6, 1976. There were about 18 adults and a, a few young people. And we rented a little space down on Colonial Drive. Uh, it was just a, it was a storefront. It was 20 feet wide, 80 feet deep. It looked like an airplane or a bowling alley. But uh, to me, just coming out of seminary, 30 years old, ready to, uh, ready to conquer the world, it looked like uh, uh, the, a beautiful cathedral. But now 30 years ago, we didn't have church planting courses or, or books or seminars. We didn't know what to do. Uh, so we just, we just started knocking on doors and witnessing to people and telling them, inviting them to come to church. I began to, um, uh, I, I volunteered to pray before uh, any civic group who would have me. To give the blessing, just to promote uh, uh, the gospel, yes, but the church, yes. I remember being asked to uh, pray at the opening, the grand opening of a Publix downtown. <laughs> and I remember uh, before they cut that ribbon and the people were all gathered around and, and I was thanking the Lord for uh, this uh, grocery store that would provide food and sustenance uh, uh, to the neighbor's and also, we really want to thank you for the bread of life, Jesus himself, where we can hear about him every Sunday morning at Orangewood Presbyterian Church. 
128 East Colonial Drive. 1030 service, nursery provider. In 1980, uh, two significant things happened. We started a school. We were still in that little storefront. We were in that storefront for six years, 76 to 82. We started a school with 18 students. Six grades. We had uh, two little uh, windowless classrooms. And we had nine kids in each. First, second, and third grade in one. Fourth, fifth, sixth, and the other. And... um, uh, it was um, it was like Little House in the Prairie. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was fun. Uh, the next year we grew from eighteen to twelve. <laughs> which is not quite as much fun. And we and we prayed about whether God was uh, leading us to close the school. But lo and behold, uh, the following year, we were able able to get property, and we had 54 that next year. And the the school uh, made it by God's grace. In 1981, I made the very best decision I made in the 20 years, nearly 20 years, that I uh, had this watch. I hired Carl Smith to be my assistant. We were in seminary together, and uh, after seminary, he went to a, a church in Macon, Georgia, and had a, a, a good ministry. He was a youth pastor and good, stable church, and I brought him down to the storefront and, um, and convinced him that uh, this is where God uh, wanted him. And um, I said, Carl, have I got a deal for you? And he came, and about the second week, uh, he came into my office from his little closet. And <laughs> he said, uh, by the way, um, what is my job description? I said, well, that's pretty easy, Carl. It's whatever I don't want to do. The truth is, I said, Carl, I'll get him here. You keep him here. And from that day forward, Carl Smith built the infrastructure of this church. From the Bible studies, the discipleship, the leadership training, he still has his hands in it. He still works on revising it and is uh, just a great blessing to this congregation. When we uh, move, oh, another thing that happened in 1980 is that the Chamber of Commerce uh, in Orlando li- listed a bunch of projections for how they would see the, the city growing in the next 20 years. Uh, they realized that Disney opened in 1971, and the 70s were just kind of crazy. Here in Orlando, nobody anticipated the impact Disney would have. And so they said, let's try to make some projections about Orlando for the next 20 years till uh, the year 2000. And one projection that they made is that they thought that uh, the center 
of the population of Greater Orlando would be right around I-4 and Maitland Boulevard. And we thought, by the grace of God, that's where we're going to be. God opened up five acres uh, just north of here, a half a mile. Uh, next to the Greek church, we were able to buy those five acres and move in there. And we were there and had just some wonderful experiences there uh, for six years. Uh, we hired Joe Creech and Vaughn Stanley, again, two guys that we were uh, in seminary with. And, and we, just, um, we just had a lot of fun. We were just good friends, pouring our lives into, uh, into starting a church. And Joe, uh, when he got out of seminary, he went to the mission field for eight years, Acapulco. (laughs) He lived two blocks from the beach. They had a full-time maid for a dollar a day. And he's sending support letters. Sweat, sweating for Jesus. <laughs> I asked Joe when he came to uh, head up a counseling ministry. And also, Joe, help us develop a world missions strategy. And uh, lo and behold, he introduced us to Saul Cruz, Armenia. Took some folks down there, and through, Joe's been here almost 20 years, and through uh, these 20 years, hundreds of our members have been on various mission trips. We just heard Jeff say that uh, there's a group that left today, Honduras. Joe's in China today. I don't know what he's doing, but... but. And the millions of dollars that we have spent uh, really seeking to um, evangelize the globe and to be world, uh, a world force. And the genesis of that uh, was Joe Creech, was and is Joe Creech. We were able to start three daughter churches. And I'm thankful that Jeff has that same vision to start more daughter churches. Started a church down south called Pine Ridge Presbyterian Church with Bill Colclasure. Uh, out in Tuscawilla, Willow Creek with Pete Alwinson, and University President Church with Mark Bates. And as we have perhaps a thousand people here this morning, in those three churches, there are probably a total of uh, another 2,000 that um, in, indirectly are descendants. And it's just so exciting to see what God's doing. And we give him thanks for that. I remember... Ha- I remember on occasion, um, um, giving an altar call. And that was uh, a little unusual. But uh, I, I remember uh, Cindy McWaters uh, getting up and coming down and tears in her eyes and, and, and accepting Christ. And then I, I remember a great, big, good-looking guy by the name of David Lundberg came forward tears streaking his cheeks, accepted Christ, changed his whole life. And he and uh, Steve Lash, another fairly new member at that time, developed a 
an incredible singles ministry. Um, just a real powerful ministry. Steve Lash. <laughs> Can a used car salesman be a Christian? <laughs> I mean, look at the way he dresses. I think he gets his clothes from yesterday.com. In 1988, God raised up this property for us, 17 and a half acres. It took us a year to get through the zoning process. And it was uh, the Hope Strong family uh, gave it to us at an incredible deal. In the mid-80s, this property was very, very expensive as they were developing the Maitland Center. And the Strong family gave us this property for $100,000 an acre. And then they took off another $25,000 an acre. Uh, as a gift. So we had this very valuable property at 75,000 acre, but we just didn't have much money. So we tried to figure out what would be uh, best to build first. And of course, uh, preachers would like to have a sanctuary, but uh, we felt as tight as money was that our first building should be multi-purpose, that it would be the better part of stewardship rather than just use a sanctuary for a couple hours, we would build a a facility that could have lots of activities. And uh, I'll I'll tell you that um, uh, one of my dreams uh, back in 1988 was that someday I would be able to drive by this, this church and no matter what time, day or night, you'd always see cars here. And that dream has come true. This church is a very busy church with lots of programs, lots of activities, lots of ministries. When we started building the church, I laid the slab and started going up with the bricks. Uh, All of a sudden, the workers got here and found a crack in the wall. They didn't pay a lot of attention until the uh, uh, the next day and the crack had gotten a little bigger. So they suspended construction, and uh, lo and behold, after some investigation, they found out that we had a sink, we were over a sinkhole. Now, when you do a, when you build a building, you have to do soil test bearings, where you drill down a certain amount of feet, depending on the, the size of the building, the weight of the building, the capacity of the building, all the formula they have. And, and I guess our formula said to dry, go down... I forget the number now. Let's say it was 60 feet. And we were good. We were solid. But lo and behold, at about 65 feet, um, there was this sinkhole. Now, what in the world are we going to do? We had no idea how big it was. You can't drop a little man down there with a lantern. (laughs) Although we thought of it. So we decided, with all the options, we said, let's fill it, not knowing how big it was. So we started filling it with grout, just that cheap kind of concrete. And we ended up filling it with 1,000 cubic yards of grout. I remember asking our building commander, I said, how much is 1,000 cubic yards of grout? They said, well, you know, Chuck, when you... In traffic, when you pull up behind a 
cement truck and it's going, you know, turning around. That's 10 cubic yards. Imagine 100 cement trucks up and down Maitland Boulevard pouring grout down this sinkhole uh, at Orangewood. It cost us $106,000. Now, if you thought raising money to to build a building was tough, (laughs) we we eventually got some insurance money. Um, It took our... uh, it took them a few years. I don't want to say anything bad about insurance um, <laughs> claims. Uh, they're quick to lend you an umbrella until it rains. <laughs> so now we're over this uh, uh, this uh, sinkhole that's been filled with a thousand cubic yards, and so now we truly are. The church built on a solid rock, (laughs) spiritually and literally. In 1990, the fall of 1990, Friday evening, 5 o'clock p.m., a tornado bounced through Maitland and did a lot of damage to this property, including tearing a big section of roof off. We had leaks everywhere. At 5 o'clock p.m., there were 100 kids in this gym various supervised activities. And by God's grace, nobody was injured or hurt. It happened fast, but it was quite, uh, it, was the, it was the picture on the cover of uh, the next day's Sentinel. Uh, not quite the, the, the kind of publicity you like, but uh, the next day we had two or 300 people, uh, our members on this property, fixing it up, carrying uh, trash away and, and uh, and trees, cutting up trees. And then when we finished with uh, our piece of property, went into Maitland Woods to help uh, some of the people there that had a hard time. In 1994, we had, uh, we had this uh, uh, dynamic uh, young youth pastor who was just doing a great job with uh, our youth. But he said, oh, I could do so much better if you could just get me a facility. I said, we've given you a gym. (laughs) He said, oh, but if we just have a youth house. And so, uh, lo and behold, God raised out. In fact, we had a a non-member give us $100,000. And I remember remember that wouldn't go as far as we'd like. And we need more money. We didn't want to take it out of the budget. I remember... um, Should I tell this story? Can we talk? (laughs) I remember parking next to Mr. Jim Gooding at a Magic game. And uh, Mr. Gooding uh, was uh, a neat Christian man. His first store was one here in Maitland. He loves Maitland, loved Orangewood Church, and uh, wasn't a member here, but just loved it. And I waited until after one of the big victories that uh, we had <laughs> during, the, during the glory days of the magic. And I made sure that I got to my car first. And here came Mr. Gooding and talking about what a great, um, uh, great game it was. And maybe we can go all the way and, and this kind of thing. And I said, you know, Mr. Gooding, let me tell you about another victory. 
we've got, we've got something going on at Orangewood with our young people. And I know you're concerned about Maitland, and I know how concerned you are about the next generation of young people. We've got this dynamic youth pastor, and we really want to build a youth house. But we're a little short. He said, how much do you need? I said, 50000 He said, I'll write you a check in the morning. I went home that night, driving home. I was so thrilled and just overwhelmed at God's grace. And then I laid up all night thinking, why didn't I ask for a hundred? <laughs> I don't know how many um, baptisms we've had, weddings we've had, funerals. We've had a lot of laughs. We've shed a lot of tears. We're a church that is... Um, been growing, uh, growing together. Uh, there's a dynamic uh, ministry everywhere you turn, from the women's work, the joy bells, the, uh, the counseling that Bert Lace is coordinating now. It's just uh, God has really blessed this church. I think of the various uh, uh, music leaders we've had. When we were downtown in the storefront, we had a 16-year-old kid who could barely shave by the name of David Moore, play the piano. And we can't get rid of him either. <laughs> Judy Hiller, Ashley, Burrell, Larry Davies, uh, Reggie, and um, of course our permanent interim, Vicki Taylor, as she has helped out all these years. It's been amazing to see what God has done with our members sent some to seminary, some of the mission fields. Some of our members have started their own uh, ministries. Pat Morley with Man in the Mirror is the most dynamic men's ministry in the country right now. And uh, that's just something for us to give thanks for. True Life Choice, our crisis pregnancy center, was, was begun by two women from this church. And we were the ones who funded it for years until... Uh, the funding took hold a little bit better. 1995, I had to take disability retirement. Uh, that was uh, uh, difficult physically and emotionally. Uh, but um, God uh, had shown me as uh, I was uh, deteriorating from a spinal cord injury well, from being a teenager, but God in his grace allowed me to walk with a cane for 35 years and and I was uh, thankful for every step. But as I was going back, I knew it was best for me and my family, as well as the church, to step down. And, and uh, we even went to one of our mission churches for the next seven years uh, so that um, Orangewood could have a new reign. And Bob Cargo came for four years and had some fruit from his ministry. And yet it was a difficult four years. It was a difficult year. Uh, it's, it's transition and change is very difficult. And I talked to Bob the day before I left, and he said, I believe that God called me here to have a ministry of transition, a ministry of transition from the old guy to uh, whatever guy would succeed him. In uh, 1987, a sweet young gal by the name of Katie Ward called me and asked if, uh, I would officiate 
uh, her wedding ceremony, and uh, that uh, uh, I said, well, I'd like to meet this, this guy you're going to marry. So she said, well, two things you need to know about him ahead of time. Uh, he's from New York, and he's a Baptist. <laughs> and as I first met uh, Jeff and Katie and got to officiate their their wedding and then um, later get, got to hire Jeff. Carl just convinced me that we needed to hire him and I finally uh, relented on one condition, Carl, and that is that he doesn't answer to me, he answers to you. <laughs> and Carl, Carl said, I can handle him. The first week that uh, Jeff was on staff, I was coming down the elevator, and I heard a skirmish in the hall. I thought it was some kids, and Jeff had picked up Carl, his boss, <laughs> upside down, was putting him in one of the large uh, wastebaskets. When God called Jeff um, three and a half years ago to be the senior pastor, he called me and asked if I would come back, Lynn and I would come back. And I, I said, really as a proud grandfather, I hope that that, uh, not sinful pride, but to see what God's done. You know, Third John 4, John says, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. And I, I identify that I have no greater joy every Sunday than worshiping here and seeing uh, what God is doing in this next chapter of Jeff's, uh, Jeff's vision. I love Jeff's vision. This is a story of God's faithfulness, 30 years. And it's our opportunity to express our thanks to him. I want us to always appreciate the past. One reason God gave us the Old Testament was to tell us stories of what he did in his faithfulness. Appreciate the past. Enjoy the present. That's why you're here today, because you're enjoying the ministry of Orangewood right now. And catch Jeff's vision for the future. It's an exciting one. This is the bride of Christ. We have our imperfections. We have our idiosyncrasies. We have our quirky people. But we're the bride, and he loves us. So today, we're that one in ten church. As we say, happy anniversary. As we say, happy Thanksgiving. Let us pray. Father, we praise and thank you for what you've done these 30 years. Oh, God, just a few stories. We relate. You have done such wonderful things, God, in spite of us, not because of us. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you for all those who've come to know Christ through the ministry of this church through the years. We thank you for those uh, thousands of people who've come through these doors, uh, some staying for a long time, some staying for a short time. God, we thank you that you've given us a ministry sometimes a healing ministry, sometimes a discipling ministry. God, we are that one in 10 today that we want to thank you for what you've done. Oh, God, 
We thank you that there's only one head of this church, and that is Jesus himself. We pray in his name. Amen.